All right, thank you for joining us. Here today we have writer, producer, and filmmaker Ron Bonk. So, Ron, how are you doing today? Good. How are you guys doing? Very good, thank yeah, you. Pretty good. So, we had a few questions wanted to, um, wanted to ask you. Um, for those who don't know, Ron Bonk is the uh, founder of uh, Subrosa Studio Cinemas. So, um, Ron, when did you decide sure. to be in the entertainment business? When did I decide to be in the entertainment business? Yes. Hmm, let me say, it was about 1990, 1991. Uh, I mean, I'd always grown up, uh, loved uh, movies, uh, would make up stories and act them out with my friends and stuff like that. But um, going to like film school and trying to be a filmmaker just didn't seem like a, you know, the smart decision coming out of high school. So I pursued a couple other degrees, and then in the process of doing that. Um, through a series of different events, just came to realize like I should have been pursuing filmmaking from the start. That was you know what my true love was and what I'd be most happy doing. And then so I uh, ditched the degrees and started uh, figuring out how I was going to make a movie. And then eventually uh, settled on shooting on video, uh, which not a lot of people were doing at the time, and uh, was was really kind of frowned down upon by. Uh, uh, like the sub distributors, you know, they didn't really want movies that were shot on video. So you'd film looking to kind of at least make it not look like video. I mean, you didn't really deceive them so much, uh, but at least it, you know, got through their system a little easier. And, um, you know, the, the other filmmakers who were out there who were just like film purists were really anti video, but it was a way to uh, make movies, you know, that I wanted to make. Um, and, uh, not like go completely in debt or have to, you know, really go out there and try to raise like, you know, I'd always share it was like a hundred grand minimum to shoot on film, you know, and raising that kind of money is uh, is difficult, especially if you don't have like a film degree or something, some sort of credits behind you. So, um, are there any rules that people have to follow, follow when they make movies? Are there any like restrictions or are there any like, um, codes that they have to follow or is it kind of free reign? Cause there seems to be a lot of like different types of movies that have been produced through that. There's no, um, like, set genre necessarily that I go for, but I tend to do better with horror movies or really, like, politically incorrect comedies, uh, you know, B-movies, cult movies, crazy action, you know, good amount of gore and stuff. You know, if, if you're going to send me, like, a romantic drama, I've, I've tried them in the past. I tried to elevate the line so we were a little bit more diverse, getting to some bigger... Um, uh, outlets, but it just uh, it just didn't work well for me. So after you know trying that for a few years back in like the 90s and early 21st century and stuff, uh, just became more centered on uh, the the movies that I like the best. So usually, I mean, I have to like the movie if I'm going to pick it up as a distributor. Uh, and then two, and and I like everything. I try not to be too judgmental but i mean i'll recognize some movies as good bad movies and some movies as good you know indie movies that are rough around the edges um but i find everything has a, a certain amount of appeal um can be can be enjoyed you know in its own respect but then i kind of fall back on like what can i can i do well with it i'm not going to just pick up a movie because i like it if i don't think i can sell it and and, and, you know, make both, you know, SRS and the filmmaker some money off it. So, and every movie's a gamble, but, you know, at least I try to go with the ones based off of uh, track record, you know, that we've done well with. And then I look at stuff like, 
you know, how well is it shot? Sound is a big issue. I, I've get I've gotten some good movies in over the years, but the sound is just atrocious and it really turns off a lot of potential buyers. And if you turn off your buyers and they might not look at your next, you know, movie, they could have bought some off you and then they start seeing a few bad audio. They think things are slipping. Some of you're not as interesting aligned to them. And the individual fans like yourself might not care about this stuff. It's more the, the retail uh, and, and the bigger outlets that are, that are pickier about that stuff. That's why, you know, more in recent years have just tried to pull the fans into SRS directly more and more because I know they're out there and they're not going to find the stuff on the shelves, like the limited editions that, you know, are only good for say like a limited edition run. They just don't um, lend themselves to uh, national or worldwide distribution, but the fans are out there and they're not going to find them on the shelves. So if they, if they're coming and looking at the SRS store directly or us on Facebook, then, um, you know, they'll, they'll find it, they'll see it, they'll grab a copy. So they said those are basically the criteria of, say, uh, picking up uh, a movie for distribution. Sounds good. Yeah, I love um, every time I go on the on um, the Subrosa website, there's always different movies for sale and everything. So I see different things that I haven't seen. So that's always really fun. Yeah, I've been trying to go back into the library a little bit more because um, I relied on the library, especially the whole period there where I turned everything over to MVD. And coming back and doing the limited editions, you know, I would have those specific titles, new title every, you know, two weeks to a month. Um, and then, you know, I had a bunch of old VHS stocks. I put some of them back on the site and they did pretty well. And then I was like, I got a bunch of DVDs still kicking around here that I've been, I've been kind of ignoring DVD as far as like, you know, the website goes, just letting it being handled on the national basis. And, uh, I, like, ah, I should get these on the site. And then they did well, especially, you know, some of them were, uh, uh, off the market for a while. Um, so I've been just trying to get the, the catalog more diverse for the, for the, the business we do at SRS. Now MVD does still handle the bulk. They do still handle the national release stuff. But if I have a few copies of a title on DVD or sitting here that have no chance of selling because they're off the market and I don't have them listed, they're just sitting, you know, in my stock, I might as well get them on the site. You know, there might be a title that, you know, had trickled out and basically died in the market, but then there's new fans like yourself who will come along or old fans who never got the title or whatever and be like, oh, hey, I I missed this title when it came out years ago and not been able to find it on the market. Or if it's on the market, it's pricey, you know, and I could pick it up here at a reasonable price, you know. That was pretty cool. So it's good to just keep mixing things up, you know. It was pretty cool to see on the site uh, one of the, the rare prints you had on there. Uh, from from the original stock was Meat Market, which was actually the first Sub Rosa studio movie that I found and watched uh, back in 2007. Oh, that was a good one to start with. I like Meat Market a lot. I mean, I know it's rough. It was made for like a thousand dollars, but and it was shot in uh, SVHS, I think too. But uh, he did a lot with a thousand dollars, and it's just a it's just a fun, different zombie movie. And know? we're actually going to be doing that one as a review uh, here in a couple months. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I found the original. Uh, I only had one of the uh, first release we did of, a, of a part one, and then I had, a, I think, like three of part two. And I think there's still the the double feature disc that we did kicking around, um, you know, like in the regular marketplace, but the, the original disc one and disc two, which have all the extra features that uh, aren't on the on the dual release, uh, those, are, those are pretty hard to find and can get pretty pricey. 
Um, now, you said before, too, that you, you really only like to make movies that you would like to watch. Um, uh, what was your favorite movie when you were growing up? Uh, my very all-time favorite movie has to be Star Wars, um, the first one. It was a movie that you know, I really fell in love with cinema from seeing the movie I acted out the most you know, as a as a kid and came up with my own space stories of and the toys that I had and kept and stuff. And it still was the experience of seeing it basically when I was eight years old, you know, that nothing has um has come close to. The only things that come close to are like the Star Wars sequel. You know, Force Awakens is probably the closest thing to that experience um, that I had as a, as a kid because it had been so many years and seeing the audience react to it. But uh, there was a tons of movies that that I love that were right up there. Um, you know, Dawn of the Dead for years, I used to say it was my favorite horror movie. I think more in recent years it's been replaced by The Thing. Uh, that one stuck with me more. I was lucky enough to actually see in theaters, and it was such an experience. Nice. But Dawn of the Dead I had loved because of the... It, it was more... It had a lot of different things going on for it. It wasn't just a horror movie. There was just, like, there was all these different layers to it that you could sort of peel back and rewatch it. And, 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 you know, try to read between the lines and maybe Romero claims, you know, weren't intentionally in there, but I think, you know, it comes out with a good, a good script or a good writer. They just sort of subconsciously, you know, become embedded into the stories like that. Um, you know, Dawn and Night Love and Dead Bolt, you know, uh, were big influence. I mean, I was a big fan of Halloween. I still stick with Halloween, even though I recognize, um, some of the shortcomings of it watching it nowadays. But, uh, uh, you know, Michael Myers is still my favorite of the of the horror icons. You know, the, basically the John Carpenter, early George Romero movies um, were really the ones. I think as long as the uh, creators kind of have like an idea and they know what they're doing and they um, kind of have a vision, then it's it'll either come out sure. really well or like even the ones that aren't really good, at least you can kind of respect. Do you think there's like certain elements that great films, all great films have? Uh, that's a tough question. No one's ever asked me before. And I don't know if I've ever sat down and thought about it to that extent. I mean, I think we touched on it a little bit by talking about just that entertainment factor, which is kind of a, you know, an all-in-all combo, because I can love, like, really bad movies. I can't say, say like, it's got to have a great script, or it's got to be, you know, it's got to have the best acting, or the best, you know, direction with the best shots, because I can love, like, a really bad B-movie that does all that stuff wrong, but for some reason it just comes together, and it's, like, perfect in its badness. Like, uh, lots of bad acting, very, uh, you know, straightforward in the direction department, but... Um, kind of like Tommy Wiseau's The Room, which is... The what's cin- that? Have you ever seen uh, Tommy Wiseau's The Room? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually saw that. Where did I see that? I saw that theater... I think twice with other people, which is definitely makes it a even more enjoyable viewing. And that's a that's a uh, a great movie in the sense that I, I like some bad movies that like are purposely homages to bad movies. Like I'm going to get you sucker is one of my favorite like you know movie spoofs. And, and you try back on the fan, but the room is great because it's one of those movies that they're completely clueless to the fact they're making a bad movie at the time and enjoyable uh, in, in that regards you know the quotability of the of the lines and how bad of actor tommy is and just magically comes yeah, that's together a, that's a great experience so and i guess that lends itself to the entertainment factor so i mean if it's really gonna come down to for well, what movies for me that i like it's i mean it's gotta entertain me whether and you know it's doing everything really good or great 
or it's doing everything really bad. You know? Yeah, there's really like no <laughs> it, it could be one or the other, and I'll enjoy them equally. Um, what was your favorite movie to work on? The first block we did of House Shark here back in um, August was such a fun time. But the sets have the sets have almost always been consistently funny. My very first one was the only I think real rough one, but I was doing everything alone. First project didn't really have much of a support system around me and a lot of things were going wrong and it was just uh it was just out of control and um just a miserable experience but each one got a little bit better um vicious sweet was a lot of fun then strawberry states the first shoot i did of it was like like a party and matter of fact it was so much fun that i shelved it i felt like it, it, the movie you know it turned into more of a comedy and it could have been scary and so you know so i waited and reshot it um and then when we did Night of Something Strange out in Virginia, we were all staying at this, you know, rundown motel. Uh, and and I'd never stayed on a set that long that wasn't, you know, home. And uh, so we were around each other all the time, and it got us to all bond a little bit more. And, and, and we got to see each other as much as possible, you know, over those days, as opposed to, like, going away. We're all constantly together. And it was just, it was such a fun set. It was a fun shoot. The movie was taking longer to shoot than planned. So, but despite, you know, that, that worry and concern, we were just still just having like a great time shooting and being all together there. It was like escape. It was like going to summer camp or something, you know? And then, uh, she kills was a little bit more pressure filled because I was handling all the tasks where on night of something strange, I was a producer and cinematographer, but I didn't have to worry about the direction, you know, like what shots we were doing and stuff like that. And, um, but it was still, uh, it was still a lot of fun. Um, it's just, uh, like I said, hard to, even the, even the high eight short, uh, that I did the Gangnam Style short for high eight, you know, it was just a short four or five days, but that shoot went, it like, that was the smoothest short maybe, or shoot maybe because it was short. It's like everything went like clockwork. The only thing went wrong, I think the very first day I parked really close to this fire hydrant and forgot as I was backing out and I caught the fire hydrant and tore up the side of the, uh, uh, I was using my mom's actually minivan so I didn't have to rent a van. And um, so I messed up the side of her minivan a little bit. But uh, after that, like, problem-free, we shot everything on schedule. We even got done a little bit earlier. There was noise in the streets. It was um, because we were right near the bars in Armory Square. Yeah, but even that, when we slowed down and took a break for that, it was more entertainment watching everyone come out drunk, you know, from the, from the bars and, and falling in the streets and stuff. Then it was like a hindrance, you know. But like this last shoot of House Shark, we were all, it was kind of like the NOS shoot. We were all sort of stuck together here at my house where we were shooting at. Uh, so we were on each other, you know, 24 hours a day in the week. Maybe the week schedule was perfect because we didn't get on each other's nerves and just had a, just had a great time. So. And the stuff came out good, so it's always a bonus. Sometimes you get worried if you're having too good of a time, maybe something's going wrong. <laughs> Which actor, actress, if you could pick from any time, past or present, would be your dream person to star in a movie that you produce? Uh, that's another tough question. There's a lot of actors who I really like who I'd love to write a role for. So I guess it would depend on what the role was. Um, I mean, I'd love to work with Richard Shaw just because he's so powerful in Jaws. Uh, I'm also a big fan of Richard Burton. Um, again, another one of those super colorful characters. Anthony um, Hopkins as well. Um, especially uh, Silence of the Lambs and before, just did so many great roles. Uh, there's a lot of like classical actors. You know, putting aside any sort of reputation I might have that I don't know of. Like I know Robert Shaw was a pain in the ass on the Jaws set because. Uh, 
um, he was drinking a lot, like when they did the big speech, but it all just comes together and he just seems like he'd be like, you know, a fun guy to have on set and, 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 um, you know, enjoy his company of as well. I would love to have got Gunnar Hansen on a set eventually. Kane Hodder, I've seen him at some of the conventions, only interact with him a little bit, but he's, uh, he seems like he's just a lot of fun. He's real good to the fans, and I always and, and I and I've liked him in the movies. I've seen him in where he hasn't played Jason like Smothered. We played at the film festival last year, and I thought he did a real good job, basically playing like a version of himself. Yeah, he's uh he just seems like a cool dude. I'd love to I'd love to work with him on a set. Yeah. I was wondering if you thought that maybe there's some kind of genuineness to lower budget film. You have to be more creative. There's more of an artistic kind of feel to it than like higher budget movies do you think the lower ones like they stays more true to like the artistic vision like there's not like a lot of corporate kind of influences in them yeah definitely i mean uh the, the old adage of like you have to suffer you know to create art uh I'm, i think i'm saying it wrong but basically you know i think it holds true to a certain degree because when sometimes i get afraid to work to get out of the low budget area and maybe i keep myself in it a little bit too much because I feel like it makes me work a little harder. Um, I, I've just maybe I've seen too many uh, indie or low budget filmmakers who did great work when they were independent and went out to the studio system. And for whatever reason, it could be control from the studio, could be um, they did a series of success, successful movies, but they just sort of lacked that heart or something. Something was lost in that transition. And these low budget movies, like I like releasing the early stuff from the Plony Brothers because. You could see how much heart they really put in the stuff. You could tell they were like hardcore horror fans, and they had a, you know a couple movies each time around the time they made a movie that that they were obviously really in love with and focusing on emulating. And it really shows in the uh, uh, you know shows in that final product what they made, whether it was shorts they did that we put together for like the Death Reel um, anthology or even a full length feature. They just uh, and especially because I kind of grew up in that same horror era, I can see it in their product or their production and stuff. So, yeah, there's a certain amount of heart and stuff that, um, uh, and struggle that makes those movies, I don't know, more real to me in a sense. Like, I, I can really enjoy them better than, say, like some standard, you know, Hollywood rom com or something like that. Yeah, I feel like um, with uh, lower budget movies, lots of times it, it almost, it's almost like it belongs to the artist, like the directors and the writers more because there's less. Yeah, it's a great way to it. phrase it, actually. Um, and to the fans, too, because uh, a lot of times the fans are the ones who embrace it because the, the filmmaker might just uh, do it for all the mistakes. And the fans don't always know the mistakes and they fall in love with it because they see what the filmmaker did try to achieve and realize, okay, he didn't get it because of lack of budget and lack of help and stuff like that. But they don't miss it because they don't know originally was pictures ahead. I mean, I had a tough time with a lot of my early productions because I was like, this, you know, I'm not. This is what I envisioned. You know, I'm not getting the acting level. I'm not getting the shot. I'm not getting the special effects. And, you know, I have to cut up the story or change the story to accommodate. You know, having no money to make these. And then I'll have someone who will love one of those early movies that I just like cringe. <laughs> like, really? Are you messing with me? You you love that movie? I'd be like, oh, yeah, I love it, but I give no idea what I wanted it to be, you know. But when you've made a low-budget movie that you really are proud of, and it also translates to the fans, then then I guess, you know, you should definitely pat yourself on the back because you, you know, achieved what you set out to. Even, again, if it wasn't completely your vision, um, you still, 
you know, you still made that movie that you wanted to make and the fans loved it. So. Now, this is something that we will often argue about on our show or in personal lives. And I just want to know, what is your opinion on hairless cats? <laughs> I, you know, I've never petted one to know, you know, if they feel exactly what they look like and stuff like that. I mean, I, I, I love all animals and I guess they're cute in their own ways, but I'd rather have something that's uh, uh, fuzzier and you know, if you're going to, if you're going to pet it or have a lay with you on the couch or something like that. It's, um, Maybe I would at least dress it into a sweater or something. So I feel like I was just laying with like a naked baby. You <laughs> <laughs> could see more like a naked chicken. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think they're adorable. Paul thinks they're atrocious. So it's it's just I, I fun to get other people's like, opinions. I think they look like moving abortions. It's it's terrifying. Like. <laughs> I mean, they're not uh, the first animal I look at and go, well, that's the cutest animal I've ever seen. But I don't really have a problem with their looks either. So. Yeah, it's just, there's something about it that's, like, slightly off. It, I just have they a look a little of, evil, I'll give you that. I think yeah. so. I think, like, um, they're, like, descendants from evil gods in um, Egypt or something like that. They used <laughs> to worship cats. But. What advice would you kind of give, like, aspiring filmmakers? Like, people just kind of want to, they have, like, some ideas to make a movie, but they don't even know where to begin. It's like you're kind of writing a script. And, or have you know, any money to do it. Yeah, or or have any money to do that. I well, guess, um, I wouldn't suggest necessarily jumping right on a, uh, a campaign fundraiser to raising your money because I know it's a temptation a lot of uh, um, first-time filmmakers um, because they see other ones doing it. But the, the thing with, with that is if you go out and you raise some money for your movie and you make this movie and you deliver it, it's, it's your first movie if you haven't really gone to film school, you know how to make a movie and you're learning. If it comes out bad or you don't finish it, you could burn a bunch of bridges before you get started. My suggestion would be go out, save every penny you can, call in as many favors as you can, make the movie or even the short that you want to make, and and then really sit back and sort of judge it. How good did I do? Is this a kick-ass movie? Try to be your own harshest critic. Get other responses to it. You might think it's awesome, but if everyone else hates it, then that should tell you something. And then continue to polish your craft until you're ready to really make that, you know, major motion picture. Then that's when you go, you got your real, you've got a track record. I think a lot of people have been burned on sites like Indiegogo and Kickstarter and 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 it and it cuts into people taking a risk, you know, on lesser known or unknown filmmakers. And and so, you know, why get yourself into that pit, you know? Uh but then go out and make the movie and when you do it, you know, Again, be your own harshest critic. Make sure one key thing is definitely get you know a uh, good sound on it. That that's really killer. Sometimes it's more important than the visuals. You know, I, um, it's it's really easy to get a good looking movie nowadays because you can shoot on HD and you can shoot on 4K for a uh, pretty reasonable cost. Even if you didn't use the best lenses or did the best you know shot selection or put the camera in the wrong places and broke the director's angle or or you know didn't really get that full cinematic look it's still with a good color grade it's gonna it's gonna look slick it's gonna look professional but it'll blow it if the sound is horrible so definitely get good sound and then just make the stuff you want to make too many people come to me and say hey what's out in the marketplace what should i be making looking to make a movie you know uh which genres uh are selling the best and i usually say okay well i'm finding this is doing well and this is doing well but make the movie you want to make because in most cases it's going to be way better than something that you made just because, you know, you're sort of selling your soul. 
don't get into the movie business if you think you're gonna, you know, be a millionaire, win Academy Awards, and live in a you know uh, a giant mansion and own a yacht. You know, get into the movie business because you want to make movies and you want to tell a story. Because chances are, you know, you're gonna be you're gonna be heartbroken. <laughs> you're gonna be broke. You're you're gonna it's gonna be a struggle. You're gonna have to you know pour every inch of yourself into it and 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 just be exhausted and burnt out. But if you love making movies, then you love all that stuff about it. You just like feed off that and you can't wait till you do it again. It doesn't have to be a deep story. It can be an all out gore fest with no plot. But if that's the movie that you love and you want to make, then do it. At least you'll be doing it, you know, right or at least, you know, right in your own eyes as opposed to like Hey, what's how? Uh, well, erotic vampire movies. Let me go make an erotic vampire movies, even though I hate them. You know, and then yeah. and then you're watching it, going like, "Oh my god, I don't care how slick this looks. It's just a, it's just a horrible movie." Yeah, the first uh, movie we actually reviewed was a uh, Splatter Farm by the Poloni Brothers, and I remember watching the special features. They said, you know, at least we set out and did what we wanted to do. Like this is a movie. It's not the best movie, but this is our movie and we're proud of it. And that always kind of spoke to me a bit, like, like what art is. And that's like the reason people go out into it. Yeah, they, they're their own harshest critics. I mean, I think the first time I met them or one of the first times I hung out with them, I, 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 I think it was Mark had called it a, the, the movie Hanami. And I would known him before then, but I mean, I hadn't met him in person too many times. I think it was Bad Magic when they actually they came out to my place and hand-delivered I wanted to watch with me, and I think they called it, like, their latest craptacular crap. <laughs> they had a great way name for it. And it was just funny, you know, like, they're presenting a movie they want me to distribute, and they're, and they're calling it, you know, their latest crapper piece or something like that. <laughs> I wish I could remember the exact word now. It's been blanking on it. So it was just funny. They always were, um, Mark's those day is, is still, you know, harsh on his stuff, you recognize what it is. But when he says something like that, you realize he still got his tongue in cheek because he's not apologizing for it. He's just like, hey, I recognize that this movie is rough and it's got a lot of bad moments, but, but hey, I loved making it, you know. Definitely appealing, you know. It's definitely, uh, it shows it shows in the work. It shows in something like Splatter Farm. And that's why I think Splatter Farm has as many fans as it does because, again, the fans, you know, see through the, the low budget and, them being young and 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 lacking, you know, uh, Hollywood training and stuff, and uh, but it's but it's just entertaining. I've, we've all been seeing a bit about um your new movie, uh, House Shark. We were wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Oh yeah, sure. Um, it's it basically I I just describe it as Jaws in a house. I figure that's the best way to sort of sell it and stuff. <laughs> and it is very much a homage to Jaws set in a house, but there's a there's a lot of other craziness going on in it and. Uh, uh, it's a story of a, a guy who one night, you know, uh, witnesses this creature uh, you know, in his home and, it, you know, witnesses attack and nobody believes him. You know, that they, you know, he said that you know, there was a monster in his house and he no longer wants to live in it, but he's sort of stuck living out in his backyard with his son because he, you know, he can't afford to sell the house. He doesn't have any money to move to another location. He doesn't want to sell the house because he doesn't want anyone else getting killed, but at the same time, you know, there's nothing else he can do. So he's, he's, you know, he's going through this like life crisis, does his own research, um, comes to the conclusion that it's a house shark based on some articles he found on the internet. 
Meantime, he had signed with this real estate agency and then later had regrets about it but because he's got this agreement with them. They were, like, forcibly trying to sell the house. They're real cutthroat. They're, like, you know, like the, the most evil real estate agency, like, ever. And uh, uh, so they're they're trying to sell the house. They're getting people into the house to look at and stuff like that. And, of course, more attacks occur. And eventually, um, uh, Frank, the lead character, he comes across uh, this one guy who claims to be the one only house shark expert. Uh, who comes out to help him, and he also comes across this uh, real estate agent who said he had a, a run-in with the shark years earlier at this Pray to Houses event in Syracuse. And uh, so the three of them team together uh, to go into the house and basically, you know, kill the beast since they have no other option. They each have their own agenda with it and and um, basically claim the house back, I guess. <laughs> and I've always wanted to do a shark movie. I was even trying to figure out, like, okay, I'll shoot this, like, in, in the lake and angle it to make it look like ocean and stuff. Because, like, a night of lake near me has, like, angles, you know, where uh, it's, you know, if you go down the line of the lake and can't see the end of it, so it could pass through the ocean. Just trying to figure out how to do, like, a um, a shark movie. And then uh, came across, you know, eventually stumbled on the idea of just doing um, a shark movie in a house. I was like, oh, there I can do my shark movie. And not leave my house to do it, which we do have other locations. I'm exaggerating, but, uh, I'd say that seems like cool the deal. obvious chance to, you know, do that and also do something I'd never done before, which was, you know, try to shoot in that Spielberg style, which I always avoided because I thought it was just, uh, it was just too complicated to try to shoot like that with the, with the talent I have. But I've, reach a point of confidence, my own abilities and confidence in the actors and, and talent that I have around me to, to be able to do that and have it work and not actually ruin the movie, you know, which I've, I tried to do and say in my first movie, City of the Vampires would have made it even worse. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Um, Ron, thank cool, you guys. for thank joining you. us. Uh, thanks for answering all our questions. It's been really awesome. Sure, and, uh, sure. I know sometimes I get long-winded, so I hope uh, I hope I actually did answer. <laughs> oh, this is great. Thank That's you fine. So much. And uh, we'll we'll be sure to keep in touch. Okay, great. Please do. So, thank you. Yep. Thanks, guys.